George. Jimmy. How's it going, man? How you doing? Doing all right, man. How you doing? Doing well. Doing well. Down in your neck of the woods right now, believe it or not. I see green trees of Philadelphia behind you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Out on the outskirts, but, you know, had, had, went through Philly yesterday. So glad to be here. Welcome back home, man, even if it's for a little trip. Yeah. So, uh, so George, I, we, I'm sure we could do a whole episode on the Eagles and the upcoming season, all the off-season moves that happened, all the off-season moves that didn't happen, that should have happened, you know. But we're here to talk about you and your story today. So I don't know. Are you, you up for that? I mean, the Sixers lost, the Eagles lost, the Phillies lost, the Union lost. I mean, the Flyers weren't even in the conversation. Yeah, I guess I'm, I'm good to switch topics. Sure, let's do it. Okay, so you got BVOIP, you got your MSP. Take me back before it, before all that started, before you knew what an MSP was, before you started doing IT work, probably before you knew what an MSP was. Um, what were you doing before you started your own business? I was in school, Jimmy. A lot of people. But when I say school, I'm talking like high school. I started my company when I was like a sophomore in high school. Okay. This is a first. So where'd you go to high school? So I went to Lansdale Catholic, you know, in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And I was a freshman in uh, in high school at the time. I had an afro. I don't know if you can envision that, but I did. It was like 13 inches. Measure it to the head here. And, you know, like technology was my thing. I self-taught a lot of the stuff that I knew. I was in Catholic school. And like, how did I go from K to eight with bad handwriting? I don't know. But I did. And so I got to high school and uh, this was about the time where, you know, the parents are like, yeah, we've paid for you to go through, you know, K through eight, that's nine years. You can go to public school, we pay taxes. I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, that's not going to happen. I'll pay for my own tuition. Just point me in the right direction. So I was working my butt off during the summertime, Jimmy, probably in a not the most legal way, but I made five bucks an hour. And, you know, like after a lot, you know, a lot of overworking during the summertime, I had just enough money to pay for my high school tuition. It was like 4,500 bucks a year at the time. Had just enough money to get like a little junk laptop off of eBay, you know, take notes. And I'm in the cafeteria one day and I'm like, how come I can't get on the internet during like lunchtime? You know, like it's not like I'm even in a class. And so I roll into the school on a weekend when I know things are happening. And like I ran an access point above the drop ceiling into the cafeteria. And if it wasn't for a pesky janitor, I would have gotten away with it too. Next morning, I get called down to the principal's office and he's like, well, you have two options. I can either expel you. I was like, uh-huh. He's like, or you can put more access points and make the rest of the school wireless. I said, okay, option two, please. That's a smart principal there. It was. He was very into it. I called him Mr. G, by the way. So we, we bonded over that letter. But anyway, so around that time, the school was going through a pilot program conversation with my grade level, right? So imagine... All the kids, there's about 250 kids in my grade level, freshman year, and they went to all the parents of that level and said, we're talking about a program where you would buy your student a Dell laptop. And in sophomore year, the entire grade level would like not have textbooks, go completely digital and try and like take the college experience at the time and bring it down to the high school level, right? Smart boards and e-online courses and all that stuff. And the school was going out for a matching like grant to do it. Right. And of course, uh, you know, me and the principal at this point, you know, we're tight. I'm in his office one day and I'm like, what are you reading? He's like, I don't know what I'm looking at. I'm like, are you reading Greek, Chinese? Like what language are we talking about? He's like, I don't know this technology stuff. And I'm like, let me see that. And I'm like, 
oh, dude, you're getting ripped off. He's like, what are you talking about? I was like, these prices are way too high. He's like, how do you know? I'm like, I'm just telling you. Like, this is like five times too high, this, that, and the other. He's like, well, I tell you to put a bin in, but you're a student. And that's against the policy. I said, okay, cool. So I go home. I have my mom take me to the Main Street attorney, incorporate it, come back. And I'm like, I'm a company now. He's like, you are? I said, yeah. He's like, put in a bid. And I did. And I won. That's how I started my IT company. No way. So so you were installing smart boards and putting laptops? Like, what was your first set of work? I negotiated the deal with Dell for all the student laptops. I had recruited kids out of the grades, like to be like help desk support for the students during the daytime. Like when they broke their computer or they dropped the entire can of soda on their computer to put in the warranty request with Dell. They actually created an entire like letter class for like the kids that had roped into like the free labor during the day. And then, you know, obviously I didn't run electrical cabling down the wall. Like there's still contractors for that, but uh, pretty much ran the project. While I'm still in school and while this pilot program's going, there were 21 other high schools in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia that were coming into my high school to just like see what was up. And then like I would go give them bids to do the same thing. That is some Philly Catholic school shit. Like you can't get away with that in most other parts of the country. I'll tell you one step further. So like, and by the way, this is way outside of any statutes of limitation here. So you can't come after me, Catholic school system. So like I would sign myself out of school every day because in my freshman year, I found out that if you come to school on time, Jimmy, and you leave after 11 o'clock, it's a full day perfect attendance here. Okay. I'd like put my early dismissal slip in and like 48 early dismissals later, they're like, you leave school a lot during the day. I'm like, well, I'm following the rules. And then like, all of a sudden they're like, you're not allowed to leave school early anymore. I'm like, okay, well, I think I have 22 sick days this year. So I might be sick a little bit. And then like, you know, I had to do what I had to do. I definitely did some of that in high school too. You know, there was the old, uh, it was the same amount of lateness. If you walked in at seven 32 or whatever it was, as 1030. So, you know, walk in, look at the watch. The homeroom teacher says you're late. Walk back out, <laughs> head back head to the diner for two hours, three hours, come back. You were the reverse of me. That's clear. I got you. Yeah. 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 Okay. So time to uh, look at high school graduation. I'm sure there's lots of people going to St. Joe's and Notre Dame and, you know, the great Catholic universities that are archdiocese of or the Philadelphia Catholic schools send lots of people to you're having the conversations with your guidance counselor where you like no way I got my business here or did you like did you look at colleges did you go to college I don't even know that's a fair question Jimmy so um I applied to eight schools I got into all eight including uh you know Penn State main campus that was the fun one so I applied to like Penn State Pitt St. Joe's, Drexel, LaSalle, you know, and I was going to be honest with you, maybe this won't shock you. I said, do I really want to drive three hours each direction to get to an Eagles game? And I said, no, that's not good. So I decided to stay local, right, in the city, right? And I negotiated my tuition, I'm not going to lie. So I had taken like my top three offers and then like I kept on going back to Drexel where I really wanted to go. There were only one of three schools at the time in the country that have a dedicated school of information technology rather than the school of sciences and like a bolt-on thing. I ended up getting my tuition to like less than half of what my original number was supposed to be. Just by saying, I really want to come to your place, but like, you know, this other place gave me a better deal. And then they would make me another offer and I would go back. And like, I did that three times until they said that was the final offer. I don't know if people realize you can do that, but you absolutely can. 
I learned about that when my wife started negotiating grad school. I did not know about that ahead of time <laughs> when she's pinning them against each other. I mean, if you don't try, you can't get, right? Yeah, exactly. So Drexel it was. You know, you're actually the second uh, Drexel alumni that we've had on the podcast that has started their business and run their business while at Drexel. I believe Jared can message me incorrectly, but I believe Tim Gwim, who's a you know PCH Technologies over in Jersey. I forget. Actually, he might have started some of it in high school. But oh, I'm getting the correct from Jared. Thank you, Jared. So I got my, my MSP startup stories back straight. Okay, so you go to Drexel, you have the co-op situation, right? You do the trimesters, you had some time to go work with your clients, sign people up. What was that like? This is where the story gets even more interesting, Jim. <laughs> Did you sign Drexel too? <laughs> no, hold on. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I'm in my like 100 level classes. I'm in the back of the room, like cutting paychecks and paying bills and like, you know, the old check cutbook and, you know, whatever. And one professor was like, yeah, let me see after class. I said, okay. And I come after class, like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm running a business. He's like, no, you're not. I'm like, well, yes, I am. And then like, he's like, explain. And I go through the whole thing and he's like, I'll check it out. I was like, you do that. That's cool. And then like next week I came back. So I got to see after class. I said, okay. And after class, he's like, well, I checked into you. And I was like, okay. He's like, you weren't lying. And I'm like, pretty hard to make up like the story to be honest, but okay, sure. And he's like, you're wasting your time here. And I said, what does that mean? He's like, these kids that are coming here. Don't have any clue what they're doing. You're already running a business successfully. I was like, yeah. He's like, well, let me send some customers your way. I got a couple of referrals. I was like, oh, cool. He's like, you should probably talk to the rest of the professors here and like test out of your classes. I said, really? He's like, yeah. I said, okay. And then that summer, so like uh, there's supposed to be a five-year program of which four years of the five you're supposed to do co-op, like you said. The fifth year is supposed to be like a information system project where you're like you're working in a group to build an information system. So the only year where you don't have co-op is really like most of your freshman year. And then like going into your sophomore year, you're going into co-op. So I bid on lunch. I bid for a lunch with the president of Drexel University. His name was Constantine Papadakis. Google him. He's no longer with us, but this guy was a tank. It's huge. So I go to lunch with this guy. I, I used a bid sniper on eBay, by the way, and got it's like $847.50 or whatever. And I had I, it was like a charity thing. And I had lunch at the Drex University, uh, President Drexel, and I just said, listen, man. He probably wasn't expecting a student to win this, right? Like, No, hell no. Hell no. He doesn't even know who I am, right? So like, of course, George, the ultimate you know, negotiator here, or so I thought. Anyway, I go in and I'm like, listen, I'm being told by your faculty my professors, they're like, I'm wasting my time. I told them the story. And I was like, let's work out a deal, right? Why don't I'm working, right? I'm doing what I'm supposed to be learning in the classroom. You know, I think we could have a good story here. So every university has the concept of lifetime learning credit. Google it. It's a thing. And where you can get class credit for actual things that you do in the real world. And uh, yeah, that's what we negotiated for. By the way, Never officially graduated Drexel by the point where I would have gone and had to do that information system like final year project. I was like running an actual company with employees and whatever. And I just never went back and did it. Shame on me. But yeah, no, for like four out of the five years, I pretty much, you know, was working for myself, running my MS, what ultimately, be, you know, relabeled as an MSB. And uh, yeah, I learned that the hard way, man. I cut my teeth that way. Wow. Okay, so let's dig into that a little bit more. So you're 21, 22, 23 years old around there. You got employees. 
what was that like? Were you hiring like people in your classes, people younger than you, or are you managing people older than you? How, what was it like getting started? All across the board, number one, on that front, could have been younger, could have been same age, could have been older, a little bit of everything. And I'll be honest, a lot of the problem with the college co-op and internship program is by the time that you, the big companies pilfer all of the kids in your class, right? Think about, you know, like big, big names, right? And there's a lot here in the Northeast, like the guys in round C, D, and F in that program are the people that didn't get jobs. So, you know, like that happens, by the way, Uh, no different than in the real world, right? When a big fancy like Microsoft or Apple or Google comes to hire you, and then all of a sudden they lay off all those people as we see recently. But I digress. People is a hard nut, Jimmy. And like, quite frankly, work ethic is very hard to guess up front. That's still the case today. And I came to find that all of the talent that I really needed, I couldn't find locally. And so really, really early on in my journey, I adopted the, hey, if you have internet and you're smart and I'm like, you can do the job, I don't care where you are. And so like what ultimately became pandemic times later on in the timeline, like we were practicing that in 2004, five, six, seven, you know, like, why do I want to have to hire from a radius of people that can just get to an office location, have them turn around and go back out to a customer anyway. And then like, you're just burning drive time, number one. And number two, yeah, I just was struggling to find people in my area. And by the way, I definitely tried the outside knock, sock, help desk thing, right? Just to see how that would work. Not great either. And so like, it's a trial and error game. It just is. And frankly, I hate to say it, but if you drop your expectation level just a little bit, you know, it's a little less painful when you find out that people don't want to do it. Wow. Okay. So you're managing people, you're like, you know, you installed the first smart boards in the city of Philadelphia. So it makes sense that you were, you know, or the suburbs, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. 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 The greater Philadelphia archdiocese. I don't, know, I don't remember what it's called, something like that. Yeah, no, it's about right. Archdiocese of Philadelphia, but yeah. Archdiocese of Philadelphia, yeah. By the way, both of my uh, parents are alumni of Archdiocese of Philadelphia high schools, so I know the deal. When did you figure out that you were an MSP? I mean, now you look at the MSP community, you look at how involved you are, you don't see an event without you there. I remember when I first started coming around, I saw you everywhere. You'd roll up, you had the little tablecloth, you would put the banners on top of the tables at that time. And I was like, who is this guy, right? Everybody knows you out there. But back then, you know, 2004, what you're talking about, 2005, 2000, up to 2010, this community sort of didn't really exist. The term MSP was starting to happen, right? The the RMMs and the PSAs are starting to become a thing that people are standardizing on. Term break fix, all this. How early in that life cycle or when did you like find out about it and start on that sort of circuit or community? Around 2009, 2010, we, up until that point, we were running Microsoft Dynamics CRM right? Like the thing that you got with your partner, Microsoft partnership, right? You install it on a server, you'd run it, it'd be like your little ticketing system, whatever. And that server, that Dell server running Dynamics CRM crashed. By the way, the original Axiom, not the company today that's branded Axiom, you know, the original e-folder, I'm talking about the original Axiom back in the day, guys. We had an Axiom appliance and Axiom appliance ran for like a day, crashed, 
We had nothing. We lost 10 years of stuff, right? Think 2000 to 2010, 2009. Like everything we ever had was in dynamic CRM, crashed. I was spammed at the absolute perfect time by ConnectWise. And they were just launching ConnectWise hosted. At this point, I'm like, I don't want to see another server ever again. I'm going to, it's your problem. And so I was one of the like very early adopters of ConnectWise hosted. And by the way, but lab tech right behind it. And by the way, it did not take six weeks to set up. It took like six months. And by the way, I started going to the user groups and like that kind of thing. And that's when I ran into like the early original guys down in ConnectWise lane, like Adam Slutskin, for example, in the group over there at the time. So is he like your account rep back then? The original guy that sold me ConnectWise, you probably remember the name. He's over at Marketopia right now, Dexter Williams, if that name rings a bell. Okay. Because all those guys on that original team are still like, they're all running sales teams and everywhere. Oh, yeah. And then Bob Baker was my account rep forever at ConnectWise. He's back there again now. And so the great guy. And so, yeah, it was a really tight knit thing. I went to my first IT Nation. Like I was starting to understand like this whole thing was existing that I had really not really understood. And like, by the way, the peer groups, the user groups, the, you know, what turned it to be the conferences really were helpful. Because then you find out that there are people that are in your, you know, like I used to, in the early days, Jimmy, have that castle mentality, right? In the Northeast, everybody's like fighting for every square inch. And it's like, oh, you're my competitor. I'm like, no, not really. There's so much business out there, like not going to really be concerned. And so I started learning from the people that were like in those Northeast groups, right? And it could have been in Baltimore and, you know, Virginia, Boston, whatever. I started to realize that there's this entire universe that exists that if you didn't take get anything out of it, you just weren't participating. And I definitely participated. I learned a lot in a short period of time. And as a guy who for like 2000 through 2009 learned everything the hard way, Jimmy, and when I mean everything, I mean everything. It was nice to finally learn from other people, right? Who are like in the trench with me. So good news is I discovered the channel circuit, if you would. I learned as an MSP. I cleaned up what we were doing and frankly, figured out how to do more with less. I think that was the main thing, like how to get to a profitable point without trying to learn what works and what doesn't work rather than just going with what worked for everybody else. That was a cool learning experience. And uh, I really appreciated the fact that, you know, as people who do accountability groups on a regular, as people who do peer groups, on a, even if it's informal, by the way, guys, I could go be like, hey, Jimmy, what are you doing for hardware as a service? Or how do you handle this in your contract? I'm running into an, an issue. Well, how would you handle that? Or, you know, my customers being a real pain, like I'm trying to figure out how to get them to like do what I'm asking them to do, because otherwise I might just go bald. It was nice to have somebody on the other end of those questions. Wow. So, okay. You got hooked in, you got pulled in, you're in all the user groups, you're using ConnectWise, you're standardizing. Then you uh, sold your MSP and raised a bunch of venture capital to uh, start Bevoid. No. <laughs> By the way, for our listeners in the South, I'm, I'm joking here. So Bevoid was, as all really good companies that come out of the channel really start from, was like, in our own MSP, we were struggling standardizing an answer, right? Like MSP, as we learned over time was, hey, if you're not standardizing all these categories and you're like having four or five, six different options per line item, like you'll never get to a profitable point because you'll just be spinning your wheels. And so, you know, there was a point in our MSP where we stepped back and we're like, why is this 
not scaling? Why are we doing this? Why does everybody have a different option here? Why has there not been something that's really focused for MSP land? We see all these other companies out there. Why did nobody do this part of it? And we said, okay, well, if nobody else is going to do it, let's fix our problem by starting something because we did not find as an MSP, an MSP centric solution for the telephony unified communications part. And like, granted, other companies have popped out since all good and well, but at that time it didn't exist. It was always a square peg round hole, like a bolt on program to a direct sales company. And like, it didn't quite fit. Well, even if it did get close, nobody did the integration part. Like why weren't these tools interconnected? And so like a lot of good companies, Jimmy, either you do what you just said, right? Go out and borrow money or, you know, from somewhere, or we take it out of our own bank account, right? We take a chance and we start to build an answer that doesn't just solve our own need. We start to solve the needs of the other people in the sandbox. And that's where really we started BVoIP. If anything, remember I told you we were using Axiant and it blew up and Dell server and all that, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not long after all of that happened, we jumped into the early days of data. Like I'm talking Austin McCord, Norwalk, Connecticut, 25 people in an office. I'm talking pre-everything, right? They're like really still in startup mode. So I drive up to Connecticut and I'm like, show me what this thing does. Like, cause I, I'm about to take this Axiom appliance to go outside with the bat office space edition. I came back with like 48 BDRs. I shipped all of those Axions back and said, I'm not paying you for this anymore. Give me my data back. And if you can't, I don't want to hear from you. And so we took an early blueprint of what Datto did on the backup side and said, can we do this in UCAS land? Can we do this in VoIP telephony land? I think we can. And that's kind of like where we stood up BVoIP in late 2014 out of the MSP. Because it was like a lot of agents and like VAR, like the VoIP model was, or the VoIP companies were very much more focused on that than like actually working with MSPs. At least, no. There's like three pools, right? There's, I'm a direct sales company, like a you know, Ring Central, Vonage, 8x8, Nextiva, Drive, I could go on and on. And like the bolt-on partner program of that company, right? Got it. Okay, yeah. And then there's master agency land, right? Like, hey, they have everybody in there. What's the flavor of the week? What's the special deal? What's the spiff? You know, and now, of course, that really doesn't help standardization, by the way, Jimmy. It's like whatever is paying most that month, right? Yeah. And then the last part at the time before wholesale was a thing was like a DYI, right? You kind of like had to glue stuff together on your own and then like try and figure it out. And like it wasn't designed to do that at the time. You kind of like had to like feel your way through it. Later on, the more wholesale model kind of kicked in where like, you could brand the solution as your own and become your own carrier. But like, by the way, that's not inexpensive to do. And my argument always as an MSP was, if you're not leading first with the VoIP thing, like if you're really a true IT services company and VoIP's like just a complimentary nice piece, why would you go through the effort to like go big on the, I'm going to create my own carrier company kind of thing. So you know, there was a lot of options, but like, again, from an MSP's perspective, they want control because they don't want to have to wait in line to get somebody else to answer their question or solve their problem. But they also don't want to be the man, right? So like, there's got to be something in between. And like, that's kind of where 
we started Bevoit from, right? Like we're like, hey, let's find something in the middle that like serves both sides. But like, I don't want the MSP to go out and build their own backup solution. I don't want an MSP to go out and build their own security platform. I don't want the MSP to go out and build their own telephony solution, copier company, et cetera, et cetera, right? There's like 50 things that an MSP has to do in order to like function, right? How can you spend any of your time too deep in any one category and still be profitable? I think that's the catch, right? So you bootstrap two companies, you're running them both. I've seen you out there. I know you, you've been hustling, knocking, knocking on doors, whatever you need to do, taking people out, cutting deals, taking service calls. I mean, everywhere I go, you're standing at the conference center on a zoom call or whatever call, you know, a team's call or whatever it is. Uh, answering questions, taking support, do it, whatever it is. Like you're in the trenches and you've been there for 20 years in a row, bootstrapping these two companies. So what's that like? How'd you do it? And um, do you get burnt out? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, so there's actually three companies. Okay, there we go. Out of Bvoip, we started MSP Initiative during the pandemic which we've been doing these crazy parties for a long time around conferences, like with a lot of other vendors like yourself. We got to come back to the parties. We got to talk about the boats and all that. Yeah. All right. So like MSP initiatives, is like a third one that popped out, but let's concentrate on the first two, right? So scaling is hard. I don't care what business you're in. The IT managed services business is a tough business. I don't care. Like if somebody tells you that it's easy, they're lying to you. I'm sorry. It's just hard. Part of the reason why it's hard is the end customer expectations are always slightly off from what you're selling. And so everybody gets their arm twisted into just keep the customer happy so they keep paying their bill. And sometimes that arm twisting takes you off the path that you've paved. And like that's part of the scaling problem of MSP. Other problem in MSP or just even technology land in general is people. And I think that's any business. Finding people that buy in is hard. Everybody can tell you whatever they want, but at the end of the day, are they in it? Are they out of it? Are they, you know, like half in, half out, never works. And I will absolutely 100% tell you that remote working sounds great, but from a time standpoint, everything gets elongated. What does that mean? The amount of time it takes to learn, the amount of time it takes to get feedback in return, the amount of time it takes to collaborate with your team. So like, there's a reason why people being in the same place just makes things click faster. It's almost like the air in between you forces the agenda where the screen time doesn't. And I think that's something that everybody kind of crash course themselves during pandemic times. And they realize coming out of it, some people are self-motivators. They can manage their time. They can get the job done no matter what the situation is. Some people just sink to the bottom of the ocean because if they can't get the feedback that they need on a regular, they don't know what to do. And then they end up doing nothing. And so like, I wish there was a gray, but there really isn't. In my opinion, you either like, literally you know, shine or you sink. And like, I haven't seen many people be in the middle of that. Now, as any bootstrap company goes, you know, you got to do a lot of work. Nobody's coming to do that work for you. And you um, got to wear a lot of hats. And I've definitely adopted the work from your backseat, your trunk, the train, the plane, the airport, the conference. I don't care. To be honest with you, like some people really just crush that. 
other people, like if they're at a conference or an event, they're traveling, don't ask them to do anything else. They just, they don't have the, the, the power or the bandwidth to do it. So for me, because we went kind of multi-time zone international early on in BVoIP land, like I got, you know, partners in, uh, you know, Europe, I got partners in Australia, New Zealand, obviously here in the US and Canada. And like, they expect you to be available. Let's be honest, right? Like if they can't get a hold of you and that's go to any Reddit forum, Discord, Slack, Facebook, if you can't be reached, this is where they end up. And quite frankly, the the conversation goes downhill from there. So from my standpoint, uh, I got to borrow a quote from Sal Palantonio because, you know, watch him here in Philly Metro on sports TV, radio all the time. The best ability is availability. If you're not on the field, you can't play. So yeah, that's why you see me always on the move, right? And like, you know, for me, even though now that I have more people in the company and I can like delegate and make sure, you know, there's avenues, if somebody needs my help and the answer is I can't be found, it's not a good feeling. Okay. Okay. I mean, best ability is availability in a basketball context. We could argue about all day. So I'm going to push that one aside. Okay. I guess, you know, Embiid didn't show up for the playoffs. The guy was hurt again. That's it. Yeah, so I guess it turned out to be right, but I don't know. All right, you really threw me off there. I, <laughs> listeners, if you're not watching, I was on mute, but I was like almost fell over laughing when he said that. That's like a big debate in Philly sports between our basketball team and, you know, people sitting during the regular season and, you know, playoffs being the only thing that matters and all this stuff. And there's critics. Who, yeah, I digress. Okay, so – I hear you on that, man. I hear you. Like, I get like, you know how many times I've been at a conference and take a call with someone in Europe at 7 a.m. because breakfast starts at 8 and I'm going to go have coffee at the eight different tables at the conference, right? Like, that's how you got to do it. And I see you. You're out there doing that for sure. They always say, Jimmy, I'll leave you. I'll put this thought out there. They always say, like, don't expect your employees to do more than what you're doing. Meaning like, if you're going to sit in first class, you should expect your employees to sit in first class. Well, hate to tell you, I sit in the bathroom row, guys. I don't care. I'll also tell you, I'll answer the call at practically any point of the day and the night. And uh, you can ask my wife, she'll tell you, she wishes my phone battery just dies. But I don't ask my people to do that. If they go above and beyond, awesome. And I'll reward them for that. Like I expect them to come in and like do their part, right? And so, you know, there are, some people that are wired, right? Like you're wired that way, Jimmy. You're on that move, right? That's how you go. Some people are just check in, check out people, right? Nine to five and they got to do their job. And by the way, that's okay. As long as everyone's pulling their weight, it should work. But it's when people are putting in varying amounts of effort and then the slack has to be carried somewhere, right? And that's where things get a little bit off base. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about, we always ask people for advice for someone else who, you know, is a similar situation to where they've experienced. What if someone, one of our listeners has their MSP, they want to do something else. They might be getting advice from their peers to sell it. Right. Or, you know, there's a lot of M&A and MSP world, but do you have anything to say? Maybe, maybe don't do it. I don't know. To someone who, who wants to keep their business and then start a new one. Again, the MSP business is a hard business. I'm not saying it's a bad business. I'm just saying it's a hard business. My best advice to you as a business owner of any company of any kind is understand the math of that business. If you don't understand that, you're going to make poor decisions because you don't realize how your decisions affect the 
profitability, the actual ability for you to borrow money, the what ultimately what is your company worth, right? And like all of these things intertwine with each other. So like my best advice to you is before you get into any business, understand how that business handles itself financially, okay? Like work backwards from an outcome rather than just working to work. That's number one. Number two, whether you decide to, as an IT services owner, merge your company, run your company, sell your company, again, math dictates all. Even if you want to leverage the valuation of your IT services business to start another company. So in my case, I borrowed money from my MSP to start my vendor company. But you could leverage your company and take like bank money, right? Off of the valuation of your first business to start your second business or your third business. But like in order to know what that math is, in order to go to a traditional funder and ask for money, you need to understand you what your value is. One, two, your credit worthiness, your ability to generate positive cash flow. And then like once you understand all of the pieces, and by the way, if you don't understand how to calculate that, there's a lot of help out there. So do not guess it, get it. Do not fake it. Get the real information so that you actually have concrete to stand on. Once you have your concrete, you have your options, right? I believe the IT services business is a business that gives you an option to decide where you want to go from there. I get that there's a lot of people that have been in this business for 20, 30, 40 years, and then they retire. But to be honest with you, I would argue that your IT services business could launch you into your investing you know, opportunities. It could launch you into you starting other companies, you doing something with property. Uh, could be, you know, you came up with a really genius idea and like you can go out there and get yourself started. I almost would always argue, and I know people would disagree with me here, but I almost would always argue that you're better off starting whatever it is you want to start and get the wheels rolling first than starting with borrowing money first. Okay, if you are pre-idea and you go to borrow money, that money is going to cost you more. More of what? Could be more interest, could be more equity, could be more whatever it is, right? So like my argument and my pitch to you as somebody in the IT services business is use your IT services business to leverage whatever comes next. And there's a lot of options. But largely, I would say you shouldn't retire in your IT services business. That's great. I'd also like to mention too, George, you are someone who brings that IT services bootstrap mentality into the vendor space. You know, for what it's worth, the majority, the overwhelming majority of products in an MSP stack that are not owned by ConnectWise Caseo or uh, another private equity company, the companies that create them are operating at large losses. And, you know, MSPs benefit from some of this, right? They get lower prices, faster products, you know, things go to market. I've worked for these companies. I'm in that world. But you can only do that if you're coming in with somebody else's money. It's a different, like uh, a different way of, of doing things and looking at it. And now markets go up and down. Now the markets are going down. There could be some major fallout from that. And MSPs are experiencing that. But by doing it the way you're doing it, it's harder, I think, in my opinion. I don't know. I mean, you tell me you're actually doing it. You don't put yourself in a box, right, where everyone else in the world has to grow by X, Y, or Z or run out of money and get bought. 
Whereas if you, you know, you still have to run a business, right? And you still have the, the ebbs and flows of that. But by doing it with not startup math or whatever, like whatever you want to call it, a venture back math, you're in more control of your own destiny, I should say. I've been rather loud on this topic, if you're willing to listen. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of ways to get to Rome, okay? And, but you need to understand how much risk you're willing to take on in order to get there. Time is part of it, by the way. Like the reason you would take PEVC, out, angel investment, outside investors of any kind, even if it's a private round, is to speed up whatever you're trying to do. My problem and what I kind of mentioned in you know last was if you don't know what that is, you're taking a really big risk because you've already started a clock. Nobody puts money into something to let it sit there forever. At some point, they want to get something back out of it. And so, you know, you want to say the traditional PEVC clock, at least in our sandbox, has been three to five years of investment. They expect to get their return in some sort of event, whether it's a merger or a sale or go public or whatever it is. That's a short period of time. Like you should only take that money, in my opinion, when like the wheels are really greased and like you're ready to supercharge because you're already, you know, you've proven it and now you want to go fast. I think a lot of people take money too early on in the process. And as a result, they guessed certain things. And when they fall short of those guesses, the, the, the money man comes in and starts pulling all the strings that you didn't want him to move. And like, I don't want to name names. There's been a lot of companies in the sandbox. By the way, the MSP sandbox is what I like to call it, sandbox. There's been a lot of companies in the sandbox where their PEVC came in and said, we're wiping out senior management and starting over. We're taking the CEO out. We're putting our own CEO in. Or you need to cut 10, 12, 30, 20% of the force because you've missed all of your numbers. And this is the, the, the way our business runs. Or, hey, guys, you built your business up to a certain point. You've now brought us in. Here's now the playbook that you're now going to reconfigure your entire company to. Don't ask why. Just do it. You lose the ability to run the company the way that you are. I would argue most companies have a pretty long leash, right? They take outside money and they say, as long as you keep hitting your numbers, we're not going to come knocking. But like you said, when the economy starts to flex a little bit, that knocking does happen. And so control is an important thing. Time is an important thing. Risk factor is an important thing. And like, we've all heard it from the other side, Jimmy, you know, the three-year plus lock-in, the I can't spend less, I can only spend more. What happens if my customer cancels and I'm still stuck holding a bag from the vendor and I'm squeezed? We could talk about this and you can read about this at end. But at the end of the day, like until you absolutely have to, my argument is don't take the money. Yeah, it's longer. Yep, it's harder. Yep, you got to do a lot more to keep it, to hit your, your goals. But you're on your own track. The only person to look at, yeah, you know, look at is yourself. And you have to answer to your customers, obviously, and your employees that are working with you and your staff. But generally speaking, like you, if you make a mistake, it's your mistake. You have to hold the bag. If you, you know, were very successful, then you also hold the bag. You know, look at the Bellinis. I know that that's probably the exception to the rule. They ran ConnectWise for what, twenty years. And then they they said, nope, we're not taking investment money. You're going to buy the whole thing right now. And now you can argue what happened after that happened. I would say many people are not necessarily happy with what happened in the direction. But from a 
20 year run where these guys like literally ran by their own rules and like built up a pretty cool story. Yeah, I like it. I like what they did. So talk to me about the parties now. We, we we're we're right. We might have to do a second episode, but I I, I know we're cutting time here. I've seen you with the boat captain hat, you know, conducting hundreds of people, thousands of people. How's this happen? For anybody that ever stumbles into the other side, uh, uh, here's my here's my explanation of the curtain between MSP and like vendor. When like you put your head behind the curtain, it's like a Mad Max Fury Road, like it's not pretty and it's not fair. And like, it's almost like you're fighting the casino, which always wins, but in a nutshell, right? Like it's very difficult to get the value of your sponsorship dollar. Once you cross that, that curtain, uh, it's very cutthroat, a lot of bazookas and flames and bullets, but you know, I like to create experiences, Jimmy, the trade show booth, while we all do it to means to an end, I still argue dollar for dollar. It's the worst investment in the business. So I said, what can we do to like stretch all of our dollars instead of swiping at the you know lobby bar and like hopefully that your credit card doesn't melt at $18 a drink or whatever it is? Why don't we pool our resources together and do something fun and like do something that people will remember? Oh, and by the way, get the thing that they won't give you at the show. Let's be honest, the list. And so, um, you know, that's where the parties came from, to be honest. I don't know if I would call it a protest party, but like it was a... Uh, we're going to do something different. And like in late 2016 is where we kind of started this. Then 2017, 18 just grew and grew. And like all of a sudden when you're doing 1,000, 1,200, 15, 18, 2,500 person things, it does get very interesting. And I'll be honest that my accountant was looking at these receipts and saying, what are you doing? And like, who did you spend this money on? Like, it's a little bit outside of the size of what your company does. And I'm like, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe we should start another company and do this. But long story short, We've had some pretty epic ones to remember, right? And uh, we've had boats. Uh, we've had the All-American Rejects. We've had rooftop parties. We've had probably about 20 plus events where, you know, around the conferences that we all know and love, we've done something more than the welcome reception or lunchtime. And toured across America too, and tour buses. Yeah, I mean, like the bus tour during the pandemic, I'm going to not going to lie to you, Jimmy. I took a little bit of all those years of Eagles tailgating. And then I like said, let's do this in parking lots across America. So like, uh, you know, like we constantly have to move, right? And I will tell you by all count, and I don't think anybody will argue on May 26, 2023, that in person is still the, even though we're in the tech industry and you're like, hey, every device you could possibly get your hands on, it still doesn't change the in-person effect. I don't care if it's beers. I don't care if it's cigars. I don't care whatever it is, go-kart, top golf, whatever, food, by the way. Food's a big topic. We could have a whole session on it. By the way, Philly cheesesteaks out of Philly aren't that good. I'm sure you know that. And if you go to Dublin and they say Philly cheesesteak with Irish beef, don't buy that. So anyway, that being said, we've done some really memorable things. And like people remember a good time, right? They may not care about the trade show booth at whatever event you're at. You know, like, do they even get to the whole floor? I don't know. But they surely remember a good, like, oh, you remember when they did this? And like, oh, that was great. Uh, I wish we could go back and do that again. That happens a lot, right? And so- that's the part that I like. I like to create something different. I like to create a good feeling. I like to create a good outcome, good experience. And like, hey, what's fair is fair, right? Like if we're giving you a great experience and a little bit of food and maybe a lot of alcohol, well, then I might call you. That's okay. I like it. You are one of the few people who will just, you know, explain the way it is straight up. This is no, you got nothing to hide. And I appreciate that. 
that's the way everything should be. I mean, I, maybe it's just the Philly way we are, but I'm not a beat around the bush guy. I'd rather just put it all on the table. You don't have to like it, but at least you know what it is. Well, George, we're about out out of time here. Do you have any closing thoughts, closing words? Yes. Sometimes it's best to go outside of the status quo. That's it. That's my best advice. There you go. I really enjoyed this, man. I, I We might have to do another episode in the future. We've covered two businesses, really three. You know, we hit MSP initiative, but once you're up to six, we'll do another episode on those three. No problem. Want to get started on that right away. All right. Thanks, George. All right, my friend. Catch you on the flip side.